Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good grief. It is another podcast from the Agile Coaching Mastery Crew. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Coaching Mastery Podcast and YouTube channel, brought to you by the Agile Coaching Mastery Crew. Our crew consists of Agile coaches from around the world who record the podcast for an international audience, free of time zones. You can listen when you want. We do this to help increase the skills, knowledge, and experience across the Agile coaching community. And it's for free. Every week, we explore another part of this wonderful Agile coaching landscape. Each episode is recorded live and unscripted on Friday. Let's join the crew and their friends for this week's episode. Well, thanks, Strange uh, Talking Man. It's good to be with you again. Uh, we're very excited today. I've got a very good friend uh, and used to be my boss a long time ago, Tony Christensen. Uh, I'm going to ask Tony to introduce himself. We have Raz, we have uh, Ricardo, and we have a, an audience on Clubhouse as well and on Zoom, and we're live streaming on YouTube as well. It's a big, uh, a big sort of push out today, which is great. Uh, we're all here. You're all there. Let's get going. Tony, would you like to say hello, introduce yourself, maybe tell us, you know, uh, how can I put this without sounding odd? Why you're an expert? <laughs> Goodness me. Okay. Um, so, hello and and welcome everybody, and thanks for inviting me onto your your program. Um, a bit about me. Uh, I have been in the technology industry for uh, over thirty five years. I started as a mainframe computer operator when I was nineteen, and I've progressed all the way through the various different roles of. Uh, operator to developer to team lead to department lead to head of department to what I spend all my time doing these days, which has been essentially my career for the last 15 years, is uh, being an an organisational adjutant. I essentially help the companies that I work for understand how to do less stupid things and how how to learn from the things that they've done to do better the following day. And so... Uh, these things uh, broadly come under the banner of Agile. And when I first discovered the Agile values and principles, uh, it was probably four years after they were published, so some 16 years ago. Um, They really resonated with me because it reminded me of all the things that I didn't like about how the industry had evolved, what it evolved to, how companies had codified uh, getting value delivered to the point that um, it was more the process was more important than the outcomes that the process was trying to deliver. So uh, I have uh, led uh, uh, probably five uh, large scale transformative efforts uh, across large companies. Uh, National Australia Bank was my first. The next was in. Uh, uh, Telstra uh, in Australia, uh, which is uh, the equivalent of BT, being um, it was originally the uh, combined postmaster general's office plus the um, uh, what else did they have in there? T- telephony systems and a number of other things. So Telstra is is a is the large monopoly provider of telecommunications in Australia. Uh, then at and the National Broadband Company, which was a 40-odd billion dollar startup to put broadband across the entire continent of Australia. Uh, the next was back at Telstra again um, to continue the journey there. Then across to the Royal Bank of Scotland, which is where I met Ian and uh, spent four and a half years uh, helping improve uh, RBS and its journey towards uh, the success it's now. Uh, become and uh, most recently I'm back in Australia 
largely due to COVID, I should say. Uh, I came out for a three-week trip to renew my working visa, and COVID kindly shut down my return flight. So I've been here ever since the 17th of March, 2020. Um, presently, though, working as the head of the agility enablement team for Kmart, which is a large, successful retailer in Australia. And I'm also part of the Bain and Company Advisory Network, and I provide consulting services through my own companies. So that, I guess, is a super uh, fast tour through through who I am. Thanks, um, thanks Dan. Great, great uh, introduction. Um, and uh, uh, as you said, you're in Australia, um, and, and presumably you might come back to the UK because we miss you out here as well, just to let you know. It, it is uh, well. I've got my my five year visa to return. I'm just waiting for the world to actually allow it to happen. So we'll, we'll see you again in person one day. Fantastic, um, fantastic. Um, anything else you want to add before we get into some questions? No, I think that that's probably enough about me. We've got a lim- limited time, so let's get going. Yeah, I, I'll start with a question from me. How's, how, how is um, how are people feeling about agility and returning to the office and COVID at the moment? In your experience. Well, because Australia has not had the massive numbers of infections or deaths that have occurred elsewhere in the world, in fact, I think our death rate still is below the the 1,000 in total. So, you know, whereas some countries are clocking that up each day, um, that's our total. Uh, We tend to have an overreaction to when there is a COVID case detected that an entire state will shut down and go into lockdown for seven or eight days until there are no further new cases and then they'll reopen. So life has been significantly different for us and it doesn't feel um, like uh, we are suffering like the rest of the world is. But one of the huge benefits of the various lockdowns um, has been that companies have uh, completely opened up their minds to allowing uh, remote working and working from home in fact, being uh, location agnostic and uh, finding extremely successful ways of doing that and creating and nurturing the balance between the home life people need to lead as well as uh, focusing in on how to continue to remain performant in, in the company. And so the companies that I've observed firsthand are doing a spectacular job. Their leadership have stepped up. Never waste a crisis is what I would say to you. Uh, it brings out the best in people. It can bring out the worst, but on the whole, it brings out the best in people. Never waste a crisis. Here in England, we're just coming, well, we're out of a uh, third lockdown. Uh, we're a high vaccine state, so we've got lots of infections, but actually, we've not got that many deaths now. So um, we seem to be uh, at the opportunity to return. And I am seeing some tensions where people are sort of instinctive. When the going gets tough, people go back to what they know, not what might be successful. And, um, you know, I'm experiencing some people going, uh, yeah, this is great, Ian, but can you come and do it in my office five days a week? To which I am currently going, no, I'm not doing that. Thank you very much. So. Yeah, Next sorry, week I'm doing my first face-to-face reasonably large workshop with 30 people in Sweden. That's going to be weird after a year of wow. Zoom and, yeah. and Miro to actually <laughs> touch post-its. Oh, post-its actually exist in paper, not just electronically. Can't wait. 
Okay, uh, that, so thanks uh, thanks for that. Uh, we have a few people on Clubhouse. Just to remind you, if you're in Clubhouse and you want to join, although you can't see Tony's on the, the simultaneous YouTube and Zoom call, all you have to do on Clubhouse is um, next to the Leave Quietly button, don't press that button, please, we don't want you to leave quietly, is a Put Your Hand Up button. If you put your hand up, uh, you can come on stage and you can ask your questions. Um, now, uh, uh, Irene is on stage, but she actually asked me to ask the question for you, Tony, because I think she's driving and therefore, you know, we want to play safe and it's it's all about metrics how do you measure how do you measure in your view how do you measure the success of uh let's say an uh, agile adoption and maybe then agility transformation of a company how, how could you how, what's the best way of measuring or or e- even how can you prove that you've been successful so i'm gonna answer that with as a typical coach does it depends. it depends. Well done. Yay. Oh, I, I, I so, need my cheering noise. I'll go and find it. Carry on. So I'll, I'll describe the different scenarios and then that answers or helps answer why it depends. Um, when I started out uh, with in working with uh, Agile, um, it was uh, at the time, so this is 15, 16 years ago, it was very much about, a you know a spider graph of um, different levels of, dis- of displayed behaviour and it was called the maturity you know the agile maturity assessment and um, at that time uh, it was intended to help teams uh, focus on what are the mindsets behaviours and uh, and language that they would use that would evidence that they were operating in an agile way. And it depended very much on whether or not they were adopting Scrum or if they were adopting, um, at the time, what was quite prevalent was a um, a hybrid method uh, that was created by ThoughtWorks where it didn't borrow from one particular methodology or another uh, in totality. It was a, it was a, 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 a patchwork quilt of it. But essentially these um, uh, spider graphs were... Uh, intended to measure the levels of maturity and um, were focused very much on things like um, uh, the the rate at which you're burning through story points. Um, the uh, uh, it was about productivity within your increment or within your sprint. Um, things have matured a lot further than that in the last sixteen years because agile isn't just about um, software delivery, uh, the more it's expanded beyond the boundaries of technology, uh, the more uh, it, it has morphed uh, into what do we measure as an organisation. So there are different things you measure de- depending on whether or not you are um, uh, working at the strategic level, whether you're working at a team of teams level or whether you're working at a team level. Um, and uh, I'll start with with what do we look for when at an organisation. What we tend to uh, do is is uh, talk more about what are the objectives and key results that the company is trying to achieve. So sometimes people will say, well, "What's an objective?" Well, you could say it's an organisational outcome. If you studied uh, a company's strategy, you would typically see what are the things that they want to be known for. Excuse me, known for in you know say five years from now. And what are the key things that they think that will get them there? Those things you can then distill out of it. So what are the key objectives and outcomes? 
and what are the key results that you want to see. An example for a retailer might be um, our objective within five years is to have expanded our um, our online uh, shop presence uh, and reduced the number of physical stores that we have. Um, the key result we want to see is, is that we have doubled our profits and that we have reduced our rental costs and our, and our, um, our building footprint. The reason why this is, is where I start with these conversations is you then, uh, what's meaningful to measure is how those objectives and key results are then broken up into near-term uh, slices of that. So what's the first year horizon that you want, would want to see? So of your five-year horizon, what, what might you see in the next um, uh, calendar year? What would you like to see in the following calendar year, et cetera? And then you bring that back to, so therefore, how do those uh, initiatives, how are they brought to life? And what are you going to slot, uh, how are you going to break that up into um, the key initiatives that will deliver it? Those initiatives that then will carry objectives and key results with them. The reason why I'm explaining this is once you then get to the teams that are then assembled around the initiative, your, uh, the things that you measure need to be a balanced uh, scorecard or dashboard between both the business results that you're trying to achieve, but also um, measures that or telemetry that help you understand how the work is being done and how are people feeling about the work being done that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's very important to not just focus on, um, you know, out- outputs, which is something that effectively a, uh, a burn-down chart with um, uh, story points uh, uh, delivery was originally focused on it's more about what are the outcomes that you're delivering and having a clear understanding of how that builds up to and rolls up to the overall organizational key results uh, and objectives but because we're encouraging a new way of working for people we try to measure things which indicate uh, the well-being of people the sustainable pace of work um, so so it takes it from just not just business results but how the work is being done and how people feel about it um, okay, you can go with, before sorry. we moved. Sorry, Tony, I didn't interrupt you. If you've got more to say, please say it. Um, well, I was going to offer was an example. So, for instance, when we talk about um, how people feel, uh, measuring that can be as simple as um, we used to just have an email that was sent out once a week to everybody that just simply was a happiness indicator, you know, from a scale from really grumpy, you know, like at the airport when you go through and say this service was good or was it was bad. It, it was just a similar scale. You just hit it, and, and because it came in your mailbox in the first uh, that first time of the day, uh, it meant that it was typically the first email you read and you just went, yeah, I'm great or I'm grumpy or I'm whatever. And it would then immediately give you a, a chart that showed you how the rest of your team feels compared to you, how the rest of the organisation feels compared to you, and it actually was not just a way of, of you um, contributing how you were feeling, but it also gave you a relativity. So it allowed you to reflect back. If everyone in the company is feeling fine and I'm not, then why am I not? If everyone in my team is feeling good, then why am I not? Or I'm feeling great. Why is the rest of my team not feeling great? So that's a very simple way of doing it, but you can get more sophisticated with it. There's a a few things in that that are really interesting, and then I'll see what Raz and uh, Ricardo think before we move down. Um, I love the fact that the um, measure you've just mentioned there 
isn't a mega measure, you know, because some companies go, once a year, we will do a huge happiness survey of our staff, and uh, it comes on the 1st of December, and, you know, we'll we'll let everyone know the results in February, and, you know, it's, uh, that is the antithesis of what we're talking about here. And when I was at Telefonica, I was part of the leadership team at Telefonica, we knew that day it was coming, we had to get our scores right, all sorts of things were done in November to make people feel happy before they filled the survey. That's the first thing I just wanted to observe. And the second thing I wanted to observe is when people ask me, how do you measure success of what you're doing? I sort of go, well, how do you measure your company's success currently? If those measurements are right, we just want to make them better, don't we? We, you know, we don't just want to measure how good we can do Scrum. We want to measure how much, how effective it is. Um, so that's some quick thoughts. Uh, Ricardo Raza, do you have any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I've been using the happiness metric for a long time, but not exactly in the same way. And I really love the way that it was a self-reflecting yeah. measure that you got immediate feedback regarding you and the organization. I'm going to steal that with pride, Tony. <laughs> That's going straight into my toolbox. <laughs> Hashtag steal like an artist, Ricardo. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm here for, to learn. Yeah, yeah, Fantastic. same here. Totally same. Yeah, but also the connection to outcomes. Uh, yeah. It's really... Would you say that you actually set targets mostly on outcomes and that the telemetry measures are more for the team to reflect on? Or would you also set targets on the telemetry measures? So the way in which um, I, I do it these days is uh, when we have an initiative as a, as a team, so as a program of work or as a group of people, what we do is the first thing we do is we sit down and say, um, what do we think are the achievable results that we can get given our understanding of our initiative? Yeah. So we don't get set targets and we deliberately don't try and impose targets. What we do instead is say we're taking it from the hypothesized theory of the business case that says we should run this initiative because we think, broadly speaking, it should give, it, give us this result. The first thing we do is, as a, as a department or as a team, is test that. So what's our level of confidence in our ability to deliver on those objectives and what do we think are the reasonable key results that we would therefore be able to achieve? Um, it, when you impose targets on people, it invokes a whole series of adverse behaviours, um, most of which are the antithesis of what it, uh, uh, the Agile values and principles are trying to drive. So instead, if you are inviting people to provide their input to, we're the team that's going to deliver this, what do we think are the reasonable results that we can uh, deliver? And then you have enough constructive challenge because, you know, in order to ensure that teams are underbaking in order to overachieve, as an example, that there's some obvious challenges that happen from um, people in the organisation such as finance. They might do some testing and quizzes about this or your um, uh, executive sponsor might also quiz, you know, is that really as far as we think we can get? And it, uh, these are facilitated conversations. So it's not, we, we avoid the scenario where sponsors and uh, key people in positions such as finance and investment aren't bulldogging and bulldozing people to sign up to things that they can't. It's actually a very constructive and realistic test of what can be achieved. What we then do, of course, is we then, as we go and break that down into, so what are we going to try and do for that in this sprint or this quarter? We break those objectives and key results down even further. And just through the mechanism of constant review, we refine 
our confidence in our key results and our objectives. Yep. That is how we manage to keep the right feedback loops of ambition, what we think is actually achievable, achievable based on the learnings of doing. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Fantastic. Raz, any thoughts before we carry on? I mean, Tony's only done the first of three parts of an It Depends answer, which is brilliant. And I now have my sound effect. So whenever someone says It Depends, we hear we hear something that... Oh, right, my fault. We hear something that goes like this. Because, because you know, it is the answer to every question. Raz, do you, do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah, it's a, I really enjoyed uh, uh, Tony's... Uh, insights on how to align all of those things. And also I can connect it to what uh, Sonil uh, just mentioned the other day about everything in complex adaptive system when we are making changes hypotheses. So we need to also consider that as a change maker or as a change agent, as an agile practitioner who bringing change to an organization or a team or a team of teams. So that's really insightful. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Um, so, uh, Tony, I interrupted you getting into the second part of your three-part answer because you don't need... And by the way, thank you. That was brilliant stuff. I am going somewhere today in Manchester where I think that question is going to be asked of me and I'm looking forward to you uh, stealing <laughs> the whole answer so far. Anyway, please, back to you. No problems. So I, I was even going to talk about um, some of the, the, the telemetry that you might use to help support the changes in um, in... Uh, mindsets and behaviors and language. Um, so uh, part of the, the, the balanced scorecard that we create for teams is the input comes from uh, surveys that we take very regularly. So say at the end of a sprint, we'll ask the team uh, questions such as, um, how well does your product owner clearly articulate the um, the vision, the scope, and provide you with clear prioritization of the work at hand. And then we give them a, you know, a fixed scale of never, um, usually, uh, uh, always, or there's a, a category there for going above and beyond. And whenever you say above and beyond, it's a mandatory, you must provide the uh, rationale Resolve. for why it's yeah. beyond your reason, yeah. And then at the very end of these sort of uh, sort of behavioural questions, which um, th- there's one that's by, for the team about the Scrum Master, there's which we now call Iteration Manager, by the way, to be method agnostic. Um, there's also one from the Scrum Masters and the team for the product owners. Then each of the product owners have one for the chief product owner, and so each of these um, sort of roll up and are independent perspectives. Um, But at the very bottom of each, we also ask for, and what is the, um, uh, what would you ask your, whoever it is that you're you're providing feedback on, um, to do differently? And then I give them a couple of different examples, such as more, better, less, different, or um, stop, start, continue. I give them a few options as to how they might respond, but it's to provoke constructive feedback. Um, these things are the, the results of these surveys and uh, and how they then play into um, both our coaching of the teams and the people as well as what we measure and report on show the grassroots genuine feedback, which is um, fearless because it's anonymous. Um, no one knows where the feedback's come from. Um, it's... Uh, 
designed to be constructive. So it's always providing um, continuous feedback on how to improve. And given that one of the key things that we want to see with the behaviours that we're measuring is a continuous improvement, a continuous learning and adaption, these things actually help our organisation, not just the program, reflect on those indicators as well to tell us, are we doing well? Do we need to change something? What, what are these things telling us that we might need to do a deeper dive on? And doing it at a frequency where it's never too long between when you detect a shift in the dial to when you can have an intervention or a, or a, uh, a coaching session. Um, so it's about improving the frequency of that, the visibility of it, and um, just measuring the general happiness indicators. Yeah, you've, you've indicated, sorry for the pun on that, that you know, you're distinguishing between what is commonly taught as lead and lag indicators and what you're indicating there is, I always say a lead indicator is something that gives you information you can do something about pretty much there and then. Uh, if, I, if I go back to my story of a happiness indicator at uh, Telefonica, which is once a year, you could be miserable for quite a while before you got to express it. So some of the things you've expressed there are definitely lead indicators. Nothing wrong with lag indicators. They're, they're useful. It's just uh, lead indicators give you the ability to tune much, much quicker. I'm just wondering if anyone in the, um, in the, in the clubhouse audience wants to come up on stage and ask Tony a question relating to this. Uh, we do have um, uh, Aditya ready to talk, but just if you're interested, if you want to come up and ask a question, we've probably got about five minutes left on this particular session, although I think, you know, honestly, Tony, I think we'd like to ask you to do some more, bluntly. But um, uh, we try and keep them to about, about 25, 30 minutes just for the ease of product, as it were, for people to listen to and not. So um, uh, let's, let's add into you if you're there. If you come off mic and ask your, your uh, sub, uh, question, please. And then, Tony, we've probably got about five minutes left on this after that, on this subject. So I think, obviously, we don't, didn't even get near the subjects you want to talk about. So hopefully... You, you'll come back or we'll do some more sessions with you. Add into you. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, Ian. And uh, thanks, Tony. It was uh, lovely hearing you. Uh, so uh, my question is, is just uh, taking a thread from uh, the same topic that we were covering, uh, that a lot of times the organizations or the customers try to have some KPIs which are coming from uh, not, not very agile in nature, and then the whole program starts to kind of work contractually based on uh, KPIs and then less embrace the failure part of Agile because, again, here the failure actually means penalty or money to the uh, service provider or something. So how, how to balance out or how to kind of draw a fine line between uh, safety for the customer and also some room for embracing failure and changing with Agile? Thank you. Could you hear all that, Tony, just to check? I did, yeah, and cool. um, I'm really, really glad that that was the question that was asked because the third thing I wanted to say is exactly in this in this space, which is whenever you look at what people are measuring and what you wish to measure, always think about the behaviour that that might start to produce in people. And so when you talk about KPIs, driving behaviour that is anti-agile, well, then they're probably the wrong things to be measuring. Um, I also prefer never to use KPIs um, as, a, as a term. Um, I, I prefer to call them um, metrics that matter, uh, and I often use the term telemetry. And the reason why I use that term is uh, I, I, I borrowed it 
I stole it with 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 uh, what was it? Stole it with style. Stole with, with pride. With pride. <laughs> Steal with pride. Uh, a, a description was given to me once about um, you need to treat your the things that you measure a bit like the telemetry in a cockpit of a plane. Whilst there are some indicators on the cockpit that say something bad has happened, you know, like all the oxygens disappeared out of the plane. That's pretty much bad in any circumstance, right? Um, but uh, all all the rest of the indicators are are there, uh, or the te- as telemetry to tell you the current state of your flight. So, by way of example, um, the the indicator that tells you that you're um, you're ascending. Uh, it ascending is not a good or a bad thing, unless it's not what you want to be doing at the time. Right. So if you are ascending at the time that you're trying to land, then that indicator is telling you something you need to interpret and say, okay, this is not what I would expect to see right now. What does it mean? Similarly, um, if you uh, showed low fuel uh, at takeoff, well, that's uh, in that context is, is, is not a good, good indicator uh, in that situation, but it's actually not a bad one as you are in the final steps of, of landing the plane. Um, so the telemetry that you create, uh, first of all, try to create it so that it's informing you of a state as opposed to informing you of a definitive uh, red, amber, green. So, you know, it, that is it's either bad or it's getting bad or it's okay. So um, that would be my first uh, piece of, uh, of feedback on that. Um, uh Measuring what matters. Um, when I look at, uh, at the, the measures that we construct, I deliberately avoid uh, and, and remove or, uh, or create a different um, uh, uh, measure to take away and drive uh, us away from the habits that we don't want people to have and drive people towards the habits that we do want them to have. Um, an example of this would be um, if what we're measuring is the profitability of, of a team, um, that, uh, that measure can drive very bad behaviours. So it can drive behaviours such as uh, over-utilising the people that are in the team. So they can't work at a sustainable pace um, because people believe that taking costs out includes removing headcount and because it's it's the, one of the quickest costs you can uh, cut from an organization is just simply remove people and you're no longer paying them and all the associated uh, costs to, to, to having people on the team. So uh, when you design your uh, measures, what you're trying to do instead is design ones that are uh, driving the right behaviors. So an example of that one might be... Um, not not profit, but what what are the outcomes we're delivering and the rate at which we're able to deliver them? So neither of those two things are being declared as good or bad, but what they are doing is they are focusing people on A, being outcome-focused instead of output-focused, and the other would be that uh, we're focusing in on how can we increase the flow of our work? So... Do we have less decision makers? That will increase the flow of our work. Do we have um, 
more more autonomy within uh, individuals to get work done. Uh, or you know, there's a whole series of things that you can do um, to to look at how to improve flow. So the things that you measure should be targeted at not just the results, but also the behaviours you're trying to drive and the behaviours you're trying to reverse. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, uh, Aditya, did that help? Yeah, yeah, thanks. I think so. I, I got some uh, clues out of that and I, I'll try to utilise some of those. Well, thank you for coming and asking the question. Uh, we're more or less at the end of our time. Uh, Tony, if people want to connect to you, what's the best way of them doing that? Uh, well, you can freely hand out my contact details at AussieAgilista uh, at gmail.com. Um, there's also LinkedIn where you'll readily find me under Tony Christensen. Um, Is it not under a, Anthony Christensen? It, you'll find me under both, actually. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, the magic LinkedIn. Okay. Um, but very happy to come on and talk on uh, other specific topics. And the teaser for you, the one that I had in my back pocket just in case uh, the audience didn't have one of their own, was I was going to talk about the path of least resistance, um, which essentially uh, is if you're trying to change an organisation, then what you need to do is to change the system of the organisation so that it's the easiest thing for the people to follow. So... Uh, we'll talk more about that another if time. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have me back on again. Okay. Um, so this is Agile Coaching Mastery, the podcast plus the Zoom plus uh, also there's a YouTube uh, link in the show notes for this. You will find uh, links how to get to Tony. Uh, uh, I'm Ian Banner. I am an Agile Coach as well. Um, um, I am. Uh, I'll, t- I'll say two things that are really interesting. One is the only person I've ever paid to coach me is Tony. Thank you, Tony, for that. And uh, and uh, I have had the privilege of uh, certifying Tony for coaching Agile Transitions, which I think he did to find out what it was like rather than uh, needing to do it. Um, and actually, Tony was on my very first course, as was Ricardo. So thank you very much for letting me do my first course with you. I'm much better than I was then, I have to say. So um, that's me. Uh, Ricardo, do you want to say hello and then Raz? Yeah, and I think the past of least resistance to having an awesome podcast is to book quickly uh, the second session with Tony. Uh, we might even record. Yeah, we might even record it right away. Actually, if everyone can, that might be my suspicious uh, uh, today, way forward. Uh, today you cannot. Uh, today you cannot. Okay. Well, we'll do it next week then, Tony. If you're okay with that, would you mind doing a, a double header and do exactly the same next week? Yeah, I'm very happy to. Wow, so let's fantastic. Do okay, uh, Raz, anything from you before I play the the music and that? No, thank you. I really enjoyed and looking forward to the next one. This podcast is going to go out under the title. I didn't know what to call it to start with, but it's going to be called How to Do Less Stupid Things, which is uh, <laughs> Tony Start. So uh, there we go. Well, the, the, the thing that I'd like to end on is um, you'll see behind me is uh, what looks like a Celtic knot, yep. which says yep. collaborate, deliver, reflect, and improve, and it's a continuous loop. So at the heart of everything we do is about working together, delivering an outcome of some kind, reflecting regularly and improving on that and being on that endless loop. And that is the path for all of us in my view. So there's my uh, my final note. Oh, super, super, super. Thank you, Tony. Uh, watch out for the next one as well. Uh, just remind you, there's a great one with Sunil in as well. Uh, that's, I think, episode six, if I remember, which is also brilliant. Um, uh, and that's, that's it for this week. That's it for this week. 
You've been listening to Agile Coaching Mastery brought to you by the Agile Coaching Mastery crew. If you want to join the live recording or give us feedback, reach out to us on agileclub.club and look for the Agile Coaching Mastery conversation. Or find us on Clubhouse, look for Agile Club, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's called Agile Coaching Mastery. Or you can always find us on LinkedIn. Join us next week for more fun and agile thinking. 